today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. You cannot give a right answer to a wrong question. You got to get the question right first to get the right answer. Why is the question wrong? Well, the question of why does God allow bad things to happen to good people, it's wrong. Because there's none good. The question's wrong. Let's make the question right first. The question should be this, why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? Changes the whole complexion of it. Now we can answer it. It's called the grace of God. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Isaiah. Have you ever caught yourself asking the why is this happening to me question? More often than not, this question stems from a sense of pride or self-righteousness and thinking we don't deserve something. However, as Pastor J.D. will remind you in his message today, the only good one is God who gives grace generously. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Verse 4. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. And they shall repair the ruined cities. Some believe the thought here is a reference to what Nehemiah did in the rebuilding of the city walls. The desolations of many generations. This is a, again, a twofold prophecy yet future that realized its partial fulfillment then, but will ultimately realize its fulfillment yet future. Verse five, strangers shall stand and feed your flocks and the sons of the foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But verse six, you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, verse seven, you shall have Double honor. Hang on to that. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. There it is again. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, verse 8, the Lord love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and will make with them an everlasting covenant. Wow. Well, let's try to work through this. There's a lot here. This is a textbook case of how the Lord, as only He can, takes that which is wrong and restores it, even doubles it to make it right, like He did with Job, by the way. He doubled everything that was taken away, except his children. Have you ever wondered about that? Why did he not get double the children? Because he, they were waiting for him in glory. 
So the children that he had, in addition to the children that had died and were waiting for him in glory, would be that double portion. You see where I'm going with this? God doesn't just restore and replace and transform. He does so exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything we could have ever thought or imagined, let alone asked. Getting back to Job, and boy, was that a, an amazing study when we went through the book of Job, especially that first chapter. How intense was that when he lost everything and Satan has, has to ask for permission before he can do anything, which, by the way, that, that should really settle you because the enemy can do nothing to you unless God gives him permission to. I think about when Peter, uh, Jesus said, Peter, I, come here, I, we need to talk <laughs> again. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, Satan asked for permission to sift you as wheat. And it's, again, it's not there in the text. I, I wish it was. I, I, I tried. Of course, he could have thought this. When Jesus said, you know, Satan has asked for permission to sift you as wheat. If I'm Peter, I'm thinking, you told him no, right? You told him no? No, I said, okay. I gave him permission. You did? Why would you do that? Because when you're converted, when you, when you come back, you're going to bring back your brethren. In other words, yes, Peter, I'm going to allow Satan to sift you as wheat, because in the end it's going to be for your good and my glory. In other words, God will never allow... Keep in mind, the devil is God's devil. The devil is not God's opposite. The devil is not omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He is a created being. And this is God's devil, and this devil serves God's purpose. And God will allow the devil to serve his purpose for his glory and our good. That was for Peter's good. And that's why God gave Satan. How about Job? Let's talk about Job just one more time. You may not want to, but we're going to. (laughs) Man, I can't wait to meet Job. Like, whoa, Job. Dude, what was that like? I mean, no disrespect, but I want to talk to him. I I don't know what it's going to be like. I would imagine that we're going to get that opportunity. But man, Job, whoa, I can't even imagine what that must have been like. But God allowed Satan to do all of that to Job, because in the end, It was for his glory and Job's good. How do you mean Job's good? Because I thought Job was a righteous man. In fact, God was boasting on Job when Satan, who still has access to heaven, by the way, that's why we're going to have the new heavens and the new earth. And God already knew the answer, but he asked uh, Satan, he said, hey, what have you you been doing? What have you been up to? He said, I've just been hanging out roaming back and forth throughout the earth. Oh, really? Did you, when you were doing that, did you happen to notice my servant Job? <laughs> That's my boy. Boy, when, when God starts boasting on you, because <laughs> here's Satan going, yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I, I saw that. Yeah, I know who he is. 
But (laughs) the only reason, you know the only reason he serves you and is righteous before you is because you bless him. That's the only reason. You, You let me have Adam and he'll curse you to your face. God's like, okay, you're on. Deal. But here's the limit. And so interesting. Satan went right up to the gnat's eyebrow. And yes, gnats have eyebrows in terms of the permission that he was allowed by God to do. Now, why would God allow Satan to do that to Job? I mean, he's a righteous man. He's upright and you're boasting on him and you're going to let Satan do that to him? Yeah, because I know the end from the beginning. I know he's not going to curse me to my face. And I know the good that is going to come in Job's life. Because see, Job has this belief that if I'm good, God will be good to me. Well, he's going to be tested now. Because he's good, and now look what's happening to him. Actually, we're going to be talking a little bit about this on Sunday, Lord willing, in the prophecy update. And it has to do with this, again for lack of a better word, creed, this belief that bad things don't happen to good people. Oh really? And, and doubtless you've, you've heard many, <laughs> a well-intentioned author or teacher try to explain why it is that Bad things happen to good people. Now to me, the way I've been able to reconcile this, just real quick, and I hope this isn't an oversimplification, forgive me if it is, but the question is wrong, and you cannot give a right answer to a wrong question. you got to get the question right first to get the right answer. Why is the question wrong? Well, The question of why does God allow bad things to happen to good people, it's wrong. Because there's none good. The question's wrong. Let's make the question right first. The question should be this, why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? Changes the whole complexion of it. Now we can answer it. It's called the grace of God. It's called the mercy of God. Doesn't that just change everything? Because none of us are righteous, none are good. No, not one, (laughs) save one, the Christ. But none of us are good. And as we're going to see when we get to James, boy, I talk about James a lot too, but every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And there's no variation, there's no wishy-washy back and forth. No, His gifts and callings are without repentance. But if it's good, it's God. And so God is only good. God cannot do evil. God cannot do bad. God can allow the enemy to bring bad into your life. But again, it's for your good. And Romans 8.28 certainly applies here, doesn't it? See, God takes the bad and makes it good. He works all things together for the good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. And we know what His purpose is in verse 29, which nobody wants to talk about. Nobody memorizes verse 29, because that's the qualifier. 
You know what verse 29 says? It basically says the purpose of God is to make us more like Jesus. Ooh, (laughs) that's why. So God is going to allow the bad, the trial, the test into my life and allow the enemy to sift me like Peter, as he did with Peter, like we, because in the end it's for my good. With Job, Job had to learn more about God, because what he believed to be true about God, he was mistaken. And you go through that whole book, and his friends are no help. (laughs) Um, The first seven days they were, because they didn't say anything. Just don't say a word. (laughs) But as soon as they open their mouth, uh, with friends like this who needs enemies kind of thing. And, but you get towards the end, and there's this, this repentance on Job's part. And he asks God to forgive him, because God takes him to task and says, Job, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is, and named every single one of those? Were you there? No. You're, you're questioning me? You're questioning me? And then finally he breaks and repents. And he's a changed man. And it was for his good. And it was for God's glory, because in the end, I would have loved to have been there too, when Satan comes up and goes, man, I lost the bet. Better pay up. (laughs) I don't know what the bet was. It was a cosmic bet. But uh, he did not curse God, even though his wife told him to. I find it very interesting, and I please, wives, (laughs) don't hate my guts when I say this, but I find it very curious (laughs) that Satan did not take Job's wife. I I just kind of wonder if the demons were like, hey, Satan, you forgot his wife, you know, and Satan's like, I have plans for her. <laughs> she's actually a, an asset, not a. I mean, she's a li- uh, an asset, not a liability. Uh, she's going to help us out here. Curse God and die. Now, when we were going through that study, uh, in all fairness to his wife, you gotta know that it was was just. I mean, she probably just couldn't take it anymore. This is the love of her life, and she's seeing her husband, who was this mighty man, this wealthy man, this righteous man, and now he's sitting on a rubbish heap, and he's got broken clay pots, and he's scratching and itching those, I'm sorry for the graphic nature of it, but it's described for us, these pussy boils that he had from head to toe. It's kind of like, man, just get this over with. I can't stand to see you like this. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying here with Job's wife. Was that, that was pretty good, actually, wasn't it? I mean, no? Okay, let's move on. Um, verse 9, their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. 
All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, verse 10. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as, now watch this, a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Oh, I love doing weddings as a pastor. But this imagery of the bridegroom, I mean, he's looking his best. This is the big day. And then there he is. Now, of course, in that day, the culture, very different. But even in our day, <laughs> I mean, I'm up here with the, the groom, and then here comes the bride. And he sees her, and she's walking down the aisle. And, I mean, it's just kind of embarrassing, because I'm the one weeping, you know. I'm like, oh, this is so beautiful. You know, and the groom's like, Pastor, get a grip. Here, take the Kleenex. And so I just love weddings. I mean, because I, I know it is a picture of the grand and glorious wedding that is in store for us our wedding to the Lamb, and the wedding feast of the Lamb, with Jesus as our bridegroom. So this imagery is picked up on verse 11, for as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. Wow. What a grand and glorious promise. Now, this is, of course, for them yet future, but it has application for us now in the present as God's people. Now, we're going to see this again in chapter 62. So we're not doing too bad, right? Verse 1, For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. Can you hang on to that too for just a moment? Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a lamp that burns, the Gentiles, verse 2, shall see your righteousness, and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. This comports with the book of Revelation, because we're told that we're going to be given a new name. I cannot wait. I've never liked my name. Who would? Frog? Growing up as a kid, I was called Tadpole, Ribbit, Kermit. I'm scarred for life, but anyways... So we're going to be given a new name. You know what this is all about, right? When the, <laughs> when the groom marries the bride, he changes her name, because now she's married to him. And for that, my wife still has not forgiven me, because her maiden name, beautiful, just Lynn, L-I-N-N. -N. Here I come along, no longer Lynn shall you be called, 
you shall now be called frog. So just wow, thank you so much. But that's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to give us a new name. And you know that the name is the nature, right? And here again we have this application to them then, but it's also applicable for us now in the sense that when we're in glory with Him, by His side as His bride, we are going to be given a new name to be identified with. Because this is the transformation, and everything changes, and we're going to be given this new nature, our new bodies, (laughs) and with it a new name. Verse 3, you shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall, verse 4, no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate as it had been, and would yet future continue to be, even for the last 2,000 years to modern day desolate, forsaken. But you shall be called Hafzibah, and your land Baulah. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be, and here it is, married. Ah. So if the name is the nature, and it is, what's up with these names? Okay. Hefzibah means, my delight is in her, and Beulah means married. Can you connect those dots? Now understand that Israel is the wife of God, and the church is the bride of Christ. You know that, right? And when at the rapture we consummate our marriage to our bridegroom, we will become not the bride of Christ, but the wife of Christ. So interesting, the nature, the names, and this is something that is missed in our culture, in our day. What's in a name, you say? I'll tell you what's in a name. The name is the nature of who that person is, and we see it replete throughout Scripture. In fact, it was a custom to not name the child until you knew the nature of that child. (laughs) If I'd have done that, I would not have named my two sons, Elias and Levi. I would have named them Search and Destroy, because that was their nature. Well, that's kind of what it, what it, here's an example. Well, first of all, my, my given name, my Arab name is Wahid. That's why I, have a legal AKA JD. So Wahid is the nature. That's my name. Wahid is firstborn. In fact, when you read the Bible in Arabic, it says of Jesus, El Wahid. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> just saying. But the numbers one through five in Arabic are Wahid, Wahid. So you're literally saying, number one, firstborn, only begotten. 
We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. The book of Isaiah is an interesting one, as the prophet Isaiah spoke things that God wanted the people of Israel to hear, but they just wouldn't listen. Little did they know that much of what Isaiah spoke had bigger significance than they could have imagined. From beginning to end, the book of Isaiah touches on Jesus Christ coming later on. It refers to the announcement of his coming, his birth, his good news of salvation, his death, and his return to claim his own. Wow, what an incredible insight into the future. Sometimes things are plain right before our eyes, and we just aren't willing to see it for what it is. Although the people were ignorant in that present time, God used Isaiah to speak to them anyway and to proclaim the good news that was to come. Do you know of this good news? If not, we'd like you to check out calvarychapelkaneohe.com and head over to the resources page. There you'll find the ABCs of salvation, which goes into a step-by-step understanding the good news of Jesus. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join us on Sundays or Thursdays at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Until we meet again, we encourage you to dive deep into God's Word and to look for more things God wants to teach you in this book of Isaiah. Looking forward to next time here on In Spirit and Truth.